I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Good morning, and all. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, I am powering through uh, four hours of sleep over the last two days because our days. yeah, because our industry is chaotic and had a bunch of crazy requests at the last minute. Two, two days is pretty brutal. Yeah. For four hours of sleep. Yeah. You look great. I know they can't see, but you look great. You look fresh. <laughs> you look fired you. up. That's good to know. I could be lying. <laughs> so I'm excited about our guest today. She is a project manager at Wright Engineers. It's a structural engineer. Please help me welcome Rachel Olson. Rachel, thank you for joining us today. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Good. I'm glad to have you on. Um, Excited to dig in and chat about structural engineering. Uh, As a little peek behind the curtain for our listeners, we've actually worked together on several projects, including one that we just got approved yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Literally last night or uh, yesterday evening, we got a project approved. Um, you and your amazing team were able to 
assist in talking the plan checker down on one comment at the last <laughs> second. Jason, I was going through all of the plan check corrections okay. and I had to push back on a few for him because he's new. And Uh-oh. like we've talked about before, going through his sheet and he's like, my supervisor said this in his interpretation. I said, well, no, the code says this. And then he had to go back and talk to his supervisor. Respect my authority. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, got all of those cleared up. Uh, and then there was one left for structural. And he was like, well, I'm going to have to change this. And he was trying to explain to me his opinion. And then uh, I was like, well, our contractor is coming today. So uh, we wanted to pull the <laughs> permit. Is there anything we could do to sort of talk about this or work around and it's right. like all right i'll call the engineer so he got on the phone hey. uh, with rachel and and her team and after the conversation he came back he's like okay we're good to go i was like yes nice <laughs> so yeah. in the clutch after that long <laughs> intro rachel can you um can you tell our listeners a little bit about what a structural engineer does besides kill the dreams of architects we try not to do that (laughs) just sometimes um yeah so a structural engineer we do work very closely with architects uh what we do is we analyze and design the structural components of a building so if you've ever been to a job site before all the finishes and stuff are put on the building you can see the structure it's like the skeleton kind of what's holding that building up So what we do is we run calculations and we determine all the forces on that building. Um, The forces would include self-weight of the building, which we call dead load. They would include live loads, which would be the weight of its contents and occupants. And then we also include the lateral loads, which would be from earthquakes, windstorms, stuff like that. So we determine all those forces and then we take those forces and we size the structural components to resist those forces. So we size things such as wall studs, floor joists, roof trusses, beams, foundations, all those kind of things to make sure the building is stable. So like I said, we work very closely with architects. Usually the architect will come to us with a floor plan, elevations, stuff that they want to do. And then we take that and we design the structure. We have to make sure the structure fits within the architecture of the building. Um, We also try to make it as cost efficient as possible. We have to make sure it's buildable and then obviously structurally sound. So once we um, figure all that out, we put together some structural plans, architect puts together architectural plans. We both submit those to the city And like Demetrius kind of already talked about, we have to go through plan check where the city kind of checks all your calcs and drawings, make sure everything is there. Uh, Once it's approved, um, it's good to go. It can start being built. And sometimes we go on site after the fact uh, just to observe the project as it's getting built. What tends to be one of the more complex parts of your part in the project? In my opinion, the remodels are a lot <laughs> trickier than ground up construction just because you have to work with with what's already there sometimes you're lucky and you get some as builts to go off of meaning you have the original set of plans and you can assume it's been built that way 
and modify it from there. But sometimes the really tricky projects are when you don't have any as-builts and you have to go out on site and do some selective demo work to try and figure out what's there, or you just have to assume what's there, which can get very tricky. But even if you know what's there, you usually end up having to come up with some very custom solutions to fit with that project. So that can get a little tricky sometimes. Yeah, the project that we were just working on, Jason, is a three-story uh, condo, technically. Okay. Uh, basically, sort of a single-family detached, but it's uh, legally a condo, condo-mapped project. And uh, we did have as-builds on that one. But, Rachel, you guys still had to go out and verify because <laughs> we, we were missing pieces, I think, that didn't fill in the entire picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened is we had as built, you're right. But then when we went out on site the first time we realized there was, you know, the house had been built slightly differently. Mm -hmm. Usually, you know, the tracked home condo kind of buildings have some options that owners are able to choose and build that way. And that house had lots of options. So it wasn't built quite like the as built showed. So or the trade to... sometimes on site thinks there's options they should throw in there. That... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you never this know. Wall an extra six inches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even mm. if you have as built, it's still sometimes built differently. And yeah, those projects are fun. <laughs> Don't open the walls. <laughs> what are the uh, critical items you're looking for when you, let's say, in a remodel, and you're trying to figure out exactly how to work your design? What critical items are you looking for in that existing building? Uh, typically, we try to locate the lateral system of the building. So where the shear walls are, if it's wood framed or moment frames or anything taking that lateral force, we try to identify what it is and where it is because we really don't want to mess with that if we don't have to. <laughs> and then um, obviously just the structure itself, you know, which way the floor joists are spanning, um, where the load bearing walls are. We just try to figure out what is actually structural within that building. So we know to either tell the owner or the architect, please don't mess with this. This is going to cause a lot of problems. <laughs> or if we have to mess with it, we at least know what it is supporting. Um, when you mentioned locating that lateral uh, system, is that more because we're in California or is that something just in general that most structural engineers would be looking for? Um, I would hope it's in general. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we actually do projects in all 50 States, but yeah, we always look for that lateral system and every structure, there should be some sort of a lateral system and some sort of a gravity system supporting those forces. So some, States are stricter than others <laughs> with those systems. Yeah. So like in California, the earthquake loads are a lot higher than other states. So the lateral system might be a lot uh, more rigid, I guess, um, than other states. In Florida, they have a lot of wind loads. So their lateral systems are going to be quite heavy too. But yeah, in general, every building should have some sort of a lateral system. We're going to take a quick break to share a little bit more about our sponsors. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. 
Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider. Immersing your client in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial, which you can head to twinmotion.link slash spaces to get your hands on. That's twinmotion.link slash spaces. So on your guys' project, right? Where, do, where does it typically start from a production standpoint? So like you get in there with the owner, Demetrius, draw up what the new plan is, and then you would get with Rachel and then she'd kind of go and do her, you know, look at the plans and then go on site and look at like, how's that whole schematic work? Uh, so from my perspective, usually I'll meet with the client and then we come up with uh, the schematic design and get it to a point where there won't be any, uh, hopefully there won't be any changes. <laughs> um, sometimes we go in where there's a likelihood certain areas are going to continue to evolve. So I'll get with uh, the engineer like Rachel and give her the the plans that are uh, usually at that point in CAD drawings. Okay. And um, so they have something to sort of work off of. And then if there is some area that's going to evolve, just let her know, you know, this spot is probably going to evolve a little bit. Um, so let me know if there's anything I can or cannot do that might be an issue and just sort of point out those areas. And then... Um, from that point, Rachel, you want to kind of take over on what you're looking at? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for those remodels, what I tell people is it's definitely better to get the engineer involved as early as possible, um, just so we can give you some direction on what's structural and what's not. Um, you know, architecturally, you can do just about anything to these buildings. It's just how much money you want to spend doing it. So we can kind of advise on what to touch and what not to touch. And so are you both areas. usually in contact then with the owner or is it funnel through one person primarily? It depends on the relationship with the client usually. So like if I'm working with a homeowner, whether it's ground up or remodel, mm -hmm. um, they'll more than likely just kind of go through me and okay. then I'll coordinate with all the other designers okay. just so there's one point of contact right. and it's not like, you know, Chaos. opinions yeah. coming from every direction. <laughs> And then that usually works because I can filter out certain things from the client. Like, like this architect sucks. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, like if they want to change something that I think I can convince them. Otherwise I won't necessarily give that to Rachel for, for, gotcha. uh, for, for instance, okay. uh, until I can work and get a confirmation on if that's going to change, because you don't want to give all the other designers, all these, initial thoughts of changes mm -hmm. and then they start going down a path and then sure, have to sure, back yeah. out of that. So. Yeah, for sure. We definitely prefer it that way too. Also just so we can kind of present a coordinated front to the owner. We're both on the same page. Yeah. And that's usually extremely helpful to, to have a, a, a group of designers that are in good relationship yeah. to, to talk and be on the same page and understand what each other are trying to do. Yeah, you can you can get a clean message across, mm -hmm. right? Nice and concise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Rachel, as you um well, let's let's back up. Can you talk a little bit about 
that relationship of coordinating with architects? Like, what exactly do you want from an architect to make your job easier? Or what are things that you see that make your job harder? <laughs> and and I, I won't be offended if I've done <laughs> any of them. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of it, like you said, it's usually the owner talking to the architect who then talks to us. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that can cause delays, I guess, is more owner driven than architect driven, such as, you know, the architect gives us a set of drawings and then those drawings drastically change like a month later, or a day before we're supposed to go into the city. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have no control over that. It is what it is. Stuff that makes it easier. I don't know if this is necessarily easier, but I definitely like working with architects and owners who are kind of open to making small changes. So usually when floor plans get sent to me, I go through and I do some preliminary calcs and red lines and just see kind of what the overall engineering is going to look like. And I make comments, they're called value engineering comments, such as uh, if we can make this wall like three inches longer, we can use a wood shear wall instead of a steel shear wall. Or if we can make this floor just a little bit thicker, we can use something more cost efficient. And so I'll go through and make comments like that and usually send them back over to the architect and they can decide whether or not they want to make those changes. And if they don't, it's fine. But if they do, it generally makes the building process and design process a little bit more straightforward. So architects should listen to the structural That's what I'm hearing. If they can, if they can, yeah. They can't always do it because it this is... This is me just trying to poke. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a balance because sure. we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, definitely want to listen to the, the engineer of how to make it more cost effective. Oh. But what is that? What is the trade-off yeah. from what we're trying to accomplish? So there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, and just being understanding to where the structural engineer is coming from because sometimes architects present us with some off the wall stuff that no. is just they don't understand how costly it's going to be <laughs> and so it's nice working with an architect who understands a little bit better our scope of work demetrius you're pretty good at that <laughs> <laughs> thank you i try to keep it simple uh when you said off the wall, what was the first thing that came to mind? You don't have to say names or locations <laughs> or anything. But you can if you want. It's okay, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. Uh, recently, I had a project with, um, it was a retail space. Um, and on one side of the building, we had a double cantilever floor cantilever and the cantilever was only shown, I think it's like six or eight inches thick. And it was going six or seven feet off the building. And so I oh, <laughs> just, so it's a diving board. <laughs> exactly. And it was supporting, I think two stories above it load bearing. And yeah, we had to call them and say, we, <laughs> we got to change something here. We either need to reduce this cantilever or make it thicker or something. <laughs> See, I'm not, oh I'm not an God. architect nor a structural engineer, but let's be real. <laughs> right. Know? Right. So it's, it's stuff that like missed, that. Man? Holy cow. <laughs> so the, uh, the audience couldn't get this, but as you were telling the story, Rachel, both me and it's Jason's like, eyes, like, 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You'd be surprised how much stuff we, we do get like that though. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do that. That's scary. I actually have a project where I, I saw a similar condition. It wasn't <laughs> six or seven feet, but it was like a little skinny four to six inch deck with no support. I don't even know how it was standing itself <laughs> that, that stuck out probably about five feet. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand how this is staying up. It's just wood. <laughs> Where, how is this still here? It's a really old house. Yeah, that's but, that's why those old houses have some funky stuff on there. <laughs> but that's the scary thing, especially when you get into those remodels or you meet a contractor where we're like, oh yeah, we can totally do this. And it has no basis behind it whatsoever. And you look, and then even just a layman person can come in and be like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to walk on that. And it, but, but somehow they convinced the person it was the right way to do it. Like, that's the scary part, yeah. you know? You're like, I took physics, at least one <laughs> class in physics. And I don't think that's right. Yeah, like I said, I remember the diving board. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like walking the plank. Yeah, I'm like, holy cow. That's funny. <laughs> so we're uh, as we're winding down here, Rachel, what's one thing... Uh, you touched on a few thoughts, but is there one thing that you would want to express to people about when they're designing their buildings and approaching a project uh, to consider about the structure to keep in mind as they're kind of starting up a project? Um, yeah, just <laughs> get a structural engineer involved for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, in California, it's required. Most states, it is required, but yeah, I mean, we we go to school for this stuff. We know what we're doing. Get us involved early so we can help give some guidance, especially if it's a remodel. If it's a ground up, you know, you can definitely call us and ask, you know, what kind of materials should we be looking at? Um, yeah, just we're yeah. available to help. Okay. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate your time. Is there uh, somewhere that people, our listeners could find out more about you or check out Right Engineers? Yeah. So I work for Right Engineers. It's an awesome firm. Um, we have lots of different locations, California, Nevada, Arizona, Texas. Um, and we do projects in all 50 states. Um, we have a website, just rightengineers.com. And yeah, you can find my contact info there, or you can just go and kind of check out all the different types of projects we've done. Okay, great. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining me, Jason. Thank you to the listeners for listening. And we will talk again next week. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link slash spaces today and try Twinmotion for free. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon.
Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.